everybody, and welcome to more of a comment than a question. My name is Smithy Mehta, and joining me is my co-host, Paul Connor. Um, Paul, how are you doing? Uh, I'm well. Um, thanks, Smithy. Uh, had an interesting day today. Got bit by a dog and had to get five shots. <laughs> how did you... Okay, there must be a story to that, right? Yeah, well, um, my wife went for a jog, mm-hmm. and... Then she called me and she said she found a lost dog. And so I drove to where she was and this little frightened chihuahua was hiding under a car. And um, stupidly, I tried to reach in and grab it and pull it out. And when I grabbed it, it bit me uh, because (laughs) of course it did. And I knew that it was going to do that. Um, So eventually we didn't save the dog, but... um, Hap- what do you mean you didn't save the dog? Well, happily, well, we, we sort of gave up. I, I ah. After it bit me, I kind of like talked to my wife and I said, you know, this is not really our <laughs> job and there's a lot of stray dogs in the world and even the professionals don't, they can't really do it without special equipment. Uh, they u- usually right. use this stick with the, this loop that grabs yeah. dogs on it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. this is uh, a bit beyond our pay grade, so let's <laughs> give up. But apparently it has been um, captured uh, by animal control and so... If it okay. has if it has owners, it didn't have a collar, but if it does have owners, hopefully it has a microchip and it'll find, find the, its them, owners. Yeah. Or if it doesn't have owners, maybe it'll it'll get owners. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. Um, tiny dogs are vicious to begin with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mine definitely is. But so I had to go all the way over to Berkeley, and it took like four and a half hours. But I got oh I got God. like four rabies shots and one tetanus shot, and I have to go back again on Wednesday to get more rabies shots. Cause the, yeah, the, the, doc, the doctor was like, yeah, we should give you a tetanus shot and then we should talk about rabies. And so I got a tetanus shot and, and then he started talking to me about rabies and I was like, so how serious is rabies? And he's like, oh, it kills you. And so yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. is, is there anything we can do about that? And he's like, yeah, well, luckily there is. So yeah, I'm getting all these, uh, all these shots. Um, I mean, it should be fine. I think the dog it really didn't look like it had rabies to me. I think it was acting pretty normally, just, but yeah, but better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, totally. And you just never know. Like the doctor made a good point, which is like, well, you know, it's, it doesn't have an owner and it's hiding under a car. So it's not exactly acting normally for a dog. That's that's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and we don't want you to go rabid, Paul. I don't think that would be good for the world. No, no. <laughs> Well, apparently you just die. Like it gets in your, <laughs> if it gets in your nerves, it then just goes to your brain and you die, which yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't realize. But um, Don't you go crazy first? Or... I'm really glad I went to the doctor because <laughs> I was honestly considering not because I have a lot of work to do and right. it's really far for me to get to the tank center. Mm, so I, yeah. I did have the thought of, you know, this is probably going to be fine. But then, yeah. I don't know, I just Googled it and it said, no, you need to go to a doctor. If you probably get should, there. yeah. Well, yeah. if you're going, you should sign up for the COVID study that the Berkeley's running. Uh, yeah. Have you heard about that? Uh, so I signed up for that oh. and I just got my results back and I don't have COVID. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I, mean, I saw I've people been lining up, up for that. Time, I didn't so. realize what it was. So, is it just like uh, trying to test everybody to get an estimate of the prevalence? Yeah, I think they're just trying to test all the staff, students, cool. um, anybody that will be on campus potentially to make sure that you know the campus will be safe for people to be there. What was what was the test like? Did they stick that long thing like right into your brain? Oh my God. So thankfully, no, they did not. Um, they only said so they only did, um, the smaller version, which is they put it just a little bit inside and mm. only to like, it felt uncomfortable, but like barely. Okay. 
So it was not the one that went all the way up mm. to your brain and sucked out your soul. But it was in your nose. Yeah. Oof. So they put it, it was like throat and then mm. in your nose, but just like a little swab. So it wasn't, it mm. wasn't too bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, yeah, yeah I, I saw the vision, you know, there was a viral video that went around of this is what actually it looks like to get tested for COVID. And it was the one where they were de- like sticking it right in like, you know, 10, 15 centimeters, like inside uh-huh. the, he- and I, I wonder how many people that actually prevented from getting going a test doing- who might have so the more <laughs> yeah so i woke up that morning when i was supposed to go in and i i thought oh i don't want to go do this mm. like this sounds horrible i'll just call in and be like no i don't mm. um i'm calling out of the study but i was like oh you know it's fine i'm sure it'll only be a couple of seconds mm. so thankfully it was not bad oh, but it sounds horrible i look forward to the results yeah yeah, yeah and of... did you hear this thing about international students today so crazy oh I know they're trying to tell like if you won't be on campus, just like go away. Yeah, you've th- I, like that. Uh, that would have been me. I luckily I got my green card a f- couple of months ago, oh, but yeah. I would have been in a weird situation of like ICE telling me to leave the country because Berkeley's all online. Mm-hmm. So, so weird and insane. And this, this administration, it, my God. I know. I don't know what they're doing. Like, what is their plan? Just send all these students back home? Well, a lot of countries are not even accepting. <laughs> planes from the u.s so it would be this weird process of well you go to a different country and then do a quarantine and then maybe you can get back to your home country i mean i i suspect it's the kind of thing that like even nobody will pay much attention to or there'll be loopholes or there'll be legal challenges or you know it's i can't imagine legal challenges or loopholes you know i was thinking what they could yeah i don't know what they could do but i'm sure people will figure something out this just seems ridiculous yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, yeah. So let's. It's been um, an interesting day. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Um, but yeah, hopefully, yeah, you're all fine and you can go back and get your shots. Um, but yeah, let's. Yeah, what are we going to talk about today, Paul? Uh well, uh, good question. So this is actually a re-recording of a podcast that we did last Friday. <laughs> And uh, you might have forgotten what the topic is. I doubt it. No, we, we're going to talk about um, a, a academic or I guess a former academic um, may, has made the decision to leave academia. So this uh, researcher is a, an Australian guy by the name mm-hmm. of James, James Heathers. Heathers. Uh, and he's quite well known in the open science community, um, especially for he was one early innovator of podcasting for psychologists he has a podcast called everything hurts with another australian academic called dan quintana Uh, and he's also well known for um, error detection work so this is just in his free time one thing that he does is look at scientific research and try to find errors so just try to find results that are obviously untrue or Mm -hmm. like obvious mistakes and get them corrected um and so he's built up you know quite a large social media following um Mm -hmm. and yeah he's just i guess well known as being quite a colorful character in the open science community yeah and he yeah i don't know a lot about his like own research but i do was familiar with the art detection work he like writes really well is like super interesting to read um and the work he's doing seems you know super relevant given all that's been happening in you know with research um so yeah seems you know i 
whatever I've heard of him, I respect the guy for it. Um, but he wrote this piece, this blog on Medium about the fact that he's quitting and it was sort of this like goodbye letter where he's explaining all the reasons why he's quitting academia and he mentions seven different reasons everything from like money to resistance to what he really wants to do and things like just temperament and age um, and the plague right Mm -hmm. Um, and money and so all these things but what really got me interested in talking about it with you is because you pointed out so I did a really cursory reading of it And there's a section at the end, after he's talked about the reasons for why he left, he talks about two things about why he were not part of the fact, like that he did not factor into his decision for leaving. Um, And when I did the reading of it, it seemed somewhat different to me. So essentially what he's saying, one of the things he's saying that he's not leaving because of is this alleged left-wing excesses and vicious environment of political correctness in academia. Um, and he's saying that essentially anybody that says there is such a vicious environment of political correctness in academia is either cannot, you know, have difficult conversations with people without offending them, um, are just imprecise in their language, or they're, you know, attention seekers who need to pit their ideas against other people to be able to have conversations, or they're just, you know, racist and want to be openly racist. Um, and when, after that, he says that anybody that brings out these um, points is just, you know, doesn't matter, isn't that important, um, and it's just boring. And I personally, when my first reading of it, I thought what he was saying is that anybody that's saying that he's leaving because of those reasons is, you know, just wrong. Mm-hmm. But then you pointed out that, no, that he, what he's saying is that anybody who thinks that these things are true in academia is mm-hmm. um, just, you know, stupid and boring and doesn't matter. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess... He's talking about people like you and me, mm-hmm. essentially, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's a yeah, I, it's a pretty familiar position that a lot of people have uh, and put out there, which is um, so there are people raising concerns about the environment in academia uh, becoming a bit, um, I guess. Uh, a bit stifling and a bit um echo chambery well yeah echo chambery like i'm everybody's sort of having very similar um mm-hmm. or everybody at least expressing very similar ideological views and people becoming um reluctant to express unpopular opinions um mm-hmm. for fear of uh kind of getting canceled um right so to speak or getting you know piled on on twitter or mm-hmm. you know have, having people um i guess in interpret interpret what they're saying uncharitably um i guess yeah for fear of i mean yeah for fear of just it hurting their career i guess would be the main fear uh mm-hmm. or, or their friendships even um right and the so that that is the concern that people have put out there and um you know prominent prominent people who talk about that are you know people like um i guess jonathan Haidt, mm-hmm. um lee lee Jusim would be another one Corey clark who we talked about in the, yeah. the previous episode mm-hmm. um right. so yeah so the response is that um is just to sort of say what james heather said which is that you're you're boring and you're wrong and you don't mm-hmm. matter um and 
it's you know it's a it's a ridiculous concern it's not a it's not a real it's not a real thing and anybody who th- who thinks it's a real thing or thinks it's a problem is either just stupid or they they have malevolent motives right right um, right yeah so what i hear is that oh if you feel like you shouldn't be sharing these opinions openly then you probably have opinions that shouldn't be shared mm, right yeah that yeah. you're that they're yeah that you just shouldn't be saying these things out loud um, yeah yeah and it i guess it's that, go ahead oh but i was just gonna say that's kind of like the argument when sam harris had like charles murray on right mm-hmm. it wasn't so much it was like oh you shouldn't even be giving somebody like him a platform right mm-hmm. like you can't even have a conversation about these things um and that's what people seem to have an issue with like you shouldn't even be talking about these stuff yeah 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 and, and i mean so James, he, I mean, James Heather's made the point of saying that, you know, he, one of the reasons he thinks it's um, kind of BS that, that this is an issue is that he considers himself to be very non-PC and he's never really mm-hmm. had a had a problem with it. Like, because yeah. uh, in his words, he just makes sure that people, quote unquote, know what he's about. Right. So, yeah, like, I mean, this is a similar view to what, um, I like, my advisor uh, or one of my advisors has said to me, uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, I've sort of mentioned in meetings that like, I, you know, I, certain research projects that I have, I'm a bit, you know, concerned about, um, yeah, sort of backlash people right. sort of not, not liking the work I'm doing or not just, yeah. So there's a, there's a weird thing. I think that I, I have a concern about sometimes where people sort of, um, I think see the results that somebody gets and mm-hmm. th- almost interpret those results as indicating a person's sort of, uh, ideological positions, right? So right. if you, if you do, even if you do a, you know, well-intentioned good faith experiment, if your results sort of run against some popular narrative that, people mm-hmm. want to want to believe or your results suggest something that maybe people don't want to believe i think that the assumption is that you wanted to find mm. those results yeah that that i think is the overall assumption mm. like if a researcher is putting results out into the public they wanted to find those results and they now want to mm. publicize those results like they're not just doing good faith you know, science. And I, and right. I guess this, but they had a standpoint that they were taking, mm. that they're just trying to make this argument using this data. Yeah. Yeah. So especially for me, and I think this might be the context I, I was talking to Decker about it. Like, so I've, I've sort of done research on implicit bias, um, mm-hmm. and found results that don't really, um, fit a lot of past work or a lot of past research or really the public narrative about implicit bias. Like, um, mm-hmm. sort of in a nutshell, I find that if you sort of if you uh, don't focus targets explicitly on a certain categorization, so you don't have them categorizing targets by race or by gender or anything like that, you just sort of let them respond to the targets kind of unprompted and you kind of zoom out and you show targets that are a bit more complicated, right? So not just a partial image of a photograph, but a whole, whole body, um, target with you know social class signals coming from the clothes and right. targets varying in gender and age and race and all, all the normal things that you know people in a society vary on when we encounter them mm-hmm. um you well at least in some early research I, I did i wasn't really finding much evidence that 
uh, of implicit racial bias. Right? Right. So like I, I was finding a much stronger signal from uh, social class. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I guess my fear is that um, you put those results out there and there's a kind of assumption that you, that's what you're trying to find. Right. You, right. you didn't just do an experiment and put out what you that could have found anything. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's you so, were motivated. In yeah. Some way. Yeah. Um, and with the possible implication that you're trying to. You know, I guess if you put this result out there and you say, hey, like based on my data, it seems like social class might be driving implicit bias more than race. That could be interpreted by some people as, well, this person's trying to take uh, attention away from uh, race as an important variable, right? This person is trying to promote the view that racism doesn't exist or this you're trying to get us to focus less on racism. And and that in itself indicates that this person is racist and they want mm-hmm. to hold back racial progress or something like that. And yeah. so, uh, you know, expressing some of these, these concerns and yeah, Daka was just kind of like, well, that's just rubbish. It's, 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 um, it's not, it's not a reality. So I've heard this view, uh, before, um, I guess I don't totally agree with it. And I think we've both sort of had experiences with, um, yeah, a, a we both sort of had experiences that have convinced us that there is kind of an environment where people are, um, don't feel fully free to say necessarily what they really think about certain issues that are sort Mm -hmm. of touchy political topics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, again, I've not been in sort of this academic area, like in academia as long as you have, but, um, I wouldn't call it like a vicious environment of yeah. political correctness, but I would say there's definitely this feeling of, yeah, like everybody sort of just nodding their heads when something is said that may not be like new people are really reluctant to oppose others. Mm. Um, and I, I guess like in most cases it does, it's not something super consequential. Um, for example, like one thing that really comes to mind is like last semester, um, last, last fall, um, there was a Christmas party that we attended because like all the lab, different labs have these Christmas gatherings right before we go to break. And this was my first, this, like, like the fall was my first time going to one. Anyway, there was this one student, we were playing some game and this one student, and I guess I should mention she's black, like she's this black woman. And she said, I mean, the context doesn't matter. What she said was old white people are more likely to be racist. And I, I personally just find that problematic and I would have said like, and everybody's sort of just like nodding their heads and I really wanted to be like, but you know, the professor whose house we are at, like she will be an old white person at some point. So with a lot of people in our department, right? Is it okay? Right? Like you could substitute that with any other race and any other stereotype that you hold, right? It would not be okay to say it in any other context, right? Nobody would be okay if you said it about a black person, a brown person, what have you, right? But somehow to just openly claim that, you know, old white people are more likely to, like that seems fine. Whereas if you put in any other thing, like that wouldn't be. Um, Anyway, I didn't say anything then, but we recently had this whole issue in our department um, of where the GRE came up um, and they, you know, once... a student was trying to advocate for just getting rid the the department was thinking we'll just make it optional for this year but this grad student sort of started talking about how it's discriminatory and racist um and you know trying to like get rid of it altogether mm-hmm. um and people just seem to agree with that and 
I felt like, you know, I needed to speak up and say, well, it's not the GRE, right? The GRE is not at fault here. It is a valid measure mm. and it does a good job of measuring what it's supposed to measure. Mm. Now we can have conversations about whether it's okay or not to accept it or how to, how to, to go about using it. Um, but just saying that it's discriminatory and racist is just wrong. Mm. Um, and so I did speak up. I did send a, an email in response to that. Um, and I did get a lot of messages privately saying, oh, you know, thank you for speaking up. And, you know, I'm glad you said something. But not a lot of people openly there. Like there was a lot of public support to the to the grad student who started this conversation, mm. um, but not a whole lot um, in opposition. And that's what I found problematic, problematic that people are not open to just having, like, I just wanted to have a good faith conversation about, you know, let's actually discuss the merits of the GRE mm. and talk about it as what it is. But um, it didn't seem like people were open to that. So, um, yeah, I thought that was a, a good example, right? I guess, um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, James Heathers has kind of made, made his mind up about this and, um, feels like it's definitely not an issue and anybody who thinks it's an issue is just wrong and doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But like, I guess what, what we wanted to do with this podcast was just to sort of like say, well, that might be, you might be being a bit, um, a bit blase because, um, you know, both of us have sort of had these experiences. So that, that I thought was a good example because it certainly seemed to be the case that even though a lot of people agreed with you, uh, and were willing to tell you that uh, privately uh, yeah. once you um, sent that email. And I think it, I mean, to me, it, it took a lot of courage to send that email. And I think, I mean, you first ran it by me and um, another one of our colleagues. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I, I mean, I, th I think that, you know, there was some public support, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, a few people sent follow-up emails. Yeah, mm -hmm. sent emails to that chain and saying thanks for you know speaking up and offering a contrary view here. Um, mm -hmm. But there was also a number of people who yeah just expressed support privately, and it it reminded me of uh, something that I saw recently, um, mm -hmm. which you know I, I put this I put this forward to James Heather's as you know another piece of evidence that you know maybe maybe you're being slightly hasty here. Um, where so there was a blow up on Twitter, um, and I think some young black female academic had said something about um, uh, was trying to sort of like lampoon or ridicule a white lady, and she said something like "white white women, white womening" or something like this. So like mm. sort of, um, I guess re maybe retweeting what this woman had posted I, I don't remember the details but essentially saying look at this white woman expressing this typical opinion of white yeah. women uh you know with the clear implication that i guess white women are retrograde or um you know have mm -hmm. a problematic um yeah. and then i think it was lee Jusim got involved and sort of said you know like this is this is racist and then there yeah. was then there was an argument. Um, I think Michael Krauss got involved and said, "Well, you clearly don't know what racist means." Sort of using this oh. new definition of racism that, like, implies that black people can't be racist. Mm. Which, by the way, I find that whole debate so boring. And oh that, my like, God. Yeah. I think you move from discussing something substantive to discussing this like meaningless semantic point so quickly whenever you get into that. That I, I totally like. 
I just don't care. Like, well, tell me the definition of the words and then I'll, <laughs> I'll talk with you. But like, right. and until that point, like it, it's, it's so, it's just so boring and stupid. But anyway, so anyway, I'm not, not, not trying to talk about legalism, not trying to, trying to talk about this particular debate, but somebody, um, another academic called Chris Chambers, who mm-hmm. by, happens to be another Australian, oh, we're, we're <laughs> all over the place. But, Lots um, of Australians. Okay, so my computer just did something funny, so that that's going to be some weirdness in the podcast. But anyway, like my, get to the point, Paul. Okay, so the, <laughs> what, what um, Chris Chambers <laughs> tweeted was nothing to do with this particular debate, uh, didn't sort of didn't sort of set foot in either camp in this, this particular debate. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he did say was interesting to me because what he said was um, he was sensing more and more that there was a big divide between what people were tweeting and saying publicly and what mm-hmm. they were saying in back channel discussions, like so private sort of group chats, maybe uh, in Twitter messages and stuff like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that to me does suggest that, you know, there is an environment where people have views that they don't feel uh, they can mm-hmm. express publicly. So people might think a certain thing is true, but be not willing to say it. I And um, my assumption is that's for fear of, you know, a public backlash. That's for fear of yeah. the politically correct mm-hmm. environment uh, of yeah. like looking like you're on the wrong side of issues mm-hmm. or something like that. Um yeah, another example, another example um, I think uh, that is interesting to me is, well, uh, you know, so another another piece of evidence that I'll put forward to James and people who agree with James is, um, so uh, like another person who's very well respected in the open science community is Mickey Inslick, uh, the host uh-huh. of um, Two Psychologists, Four Beers, or one of the hosts. Yeah. Um, I mean... For a start, in their, I think it was like their second ever episode, he mentioned that he has views that he's scared to express publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called himself a coward. And he thinks that he, you know, uh, and the one that he, he said he was, um, he mentioned as an example of this is the idea that um, uh, if, yeah, like I guess it was related to experiences of racism or microaggressions, and he he said that you know he thinks that at least some of that is is likely caused by um, is likely in the eye of the beholder kind of thing. Like so, if right. if students come to campus um, and are very very focused on the issues of racism or a sort of convinced that. Um, this sort of covert white supremacists lurking everywhere that that can mm-hmm. cause them to uh, sort of interpret events, um, daily events. That may be ambiguous otherwise in a certain yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So like this could be, uh, I think his point was this could be sort of increasing the extent to which people are subjectively experiencing um, right. microaggressions or um, experiences of mm-hmm. uh, racism. Yeah. And, and in some cases it might become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I think if you're interacting with somebody and you have a certain idea, like it's going to affect your interaction towards your sort of um, the way you're approaching somebody. Mm. Right. And that could just sort of become Mm. like you expect to see this. And then it turns out, oh, yeah, Mm. you're acting as if it's happening and then it happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's complicated. But I guess, yeah, I guess the point and what I would say to James is that, you know, like your colleague who I'm sure you like and respect, Mickey Inslicht 
has expressed that you know he f- he feels um scared to put out certain views um mm-hmm. because of political correctness so i I, yeah. I don't like that word but yeah. I, I don't i don't have a better one so and then um another thing happened with those guys which was uh, i was talking to you about before which is um there was a bit of a, a dust up related to the journalist jesse single so mm-hmm. jesse single is a um, a journalist used to work for New York Magazine has done um, sort of some reporting on implicit bias, but has also mm-hmm. reported most famously, I guess, on um, uh, children who are trans uh, and how they're treated and how our mm-hmm. tra- treatment of trans children is changing. Um, right. And he wrote a piece in the Atlantic uh, related related to this and. A lot of people were angry at the piece. Um, so a lot mm-hmm. of people consider him a transphobe and stuff like that. So right. one thing um, that happened on, I mean, the Four Beers guys had Jesse Single on for an interview, but that was all about implicit mm-hmm. bias, nothing to do with right. trans issues. Um, mm-hmm. Later, and I think this was unrelated to the Four Beers pod, but later there was some people sort of criticizing um, criticizing Single or criticizing maybe... Yeah, I think it was a criticism of single, and I think the f- one of the Forbes hosts um, asked on Twitter uh, for evidence. So, sort of saying, "Oh, like I didn't, I didn't realize Jesse Single was problematic. Like, what evidence is there that um, mm-hmm. he's a transphobe or he's done bad things?" And yeah, and that was interesting because, like, nobody, nobody really provided the evidence. Um, but what they what they some people did on Twitter rather was uh, react very negatively to the request for evidence. So sort of to suggest yeah. that it's it's an act of oppression to even um, ask for evidence for a claim that somebody is um, uh, an oppressor or is a bigot or or whatever. So there was um, one person who said um, something like. Yeah, I I I, um, I can't deal with this now. I don't have the energy. Can somebody else step in? And then uh, somebody else stepped in and said, oh, this is this is just like a perfect example of this dynamic, where people, you know, powerful people demand emotional labor from uh, marginalized people, and we're, you know, what does that even mean, emotional labor? I I don't understand, especially if you're being asked for evidence. Yeah, well, I think it just means that like it it if you make a claim that somebody is a bigot against your Mm -hmm. oppressed group and then somebody demands that you prove it to them Mm -hmm. that this is like upsetting and it's like um it's well it is labor right like so you're spending time but it's also like labor that you might might upset you because you then have to go through and dig up exactly what this person said and then that's upsetting to you um and it's yeah it's 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 emotion. It's labor, but it also has neg- negative. Making you feel bad. Negative. <laughs> negative. It yeah leads to negative affective states. It, it takes your energy away from being more productive and stuff like that. But I think I mean what the four beers guys said, and they sort of t- talked about this in the pod, is that like mm-hmm. that may be true, but what's the alternative? The alternative is just that accusations are made, and there's no need to provide evidence for them so like as long as as long as you have the right identity groups you can just accuse anybody uh and and there's just a complete um yeah just this complete assumption that like 
everything you say is true and everybody you accuse really is a bigot. Uh, and I, I think especially the case of Jesse Single is fascinating to me because like, I, I actually really like Jesse Single. I follow him on Twitter. I listen to his podcast mm-hmm. and, and people hate him so much. And I can't figure out what the hell he did. Like, I, I just can't other than he had the temerity to sort of write this article. And in the article, he talks about um, desistance so desistance is when, yeah, a kid says they're trans, um, maybe they get hormone therapy, maybe they get surgery or something like that, but they later regret it. They later decide that they're not trans. Right. I don't think it's, you have to be a kid, but it's basically the idea that people uh, might go through a phase where they're convinced they're trans and they want to transition and change gender, but later uh, change their mind. And as far as I can see, if you even talk about this, if you even um, if you even sort of talk about research into this or talk about even the fact that we don't really know how prevalent this is and we don't have good data on it, people get incredibly yeah. angry. Um, and I think that the trans community or trans, maybe just trans activists get mm-hmm. very upset because they see it as an attempt, an attempt to sort of invalidate trans people's identity. Right. right? So like they see the threat as being, okay, so now if you, if everybody thinks desistance is a big deal and a kid comes out and says they're trans, they're not going to be taken seriously or they're not going to get um, the hormone therapy that they should get or something like that. So it is, you know, it's a complex thing, but the idea that anybody who talks about this, because like the, I mean, evidence suggests that it is a thing that happens. And so it's a true fact. And the idea that saying true facts gets you just canceled and labeled a transphobe and, you know, I've I've even seen criticisms of the organization SIPS and one of the criticisms was hmm. that they associate with unethical journalists. Do you want to mention what SIPS is? Uh, Society for the Improvement of Psychological Sciences. Um, right. And there was a, a criticism from people who are kind of outsiders to SIPS uh, talking about why they don't go to SIPS conferences. And one of mm-hmm. the things was um, SIPS associates with um, unethical journalists and I'm pretty sure one of the unethical journalists was Jesse Single. Um, Mm. and the unethical part is just, it's just not backed by any evidence. And I like nobody, it's really fascinating because I know I've sort of turned you on to blocked and reported. And so like, if, if you follow like Jesse single, you, you will very quickly realize that people absolutely despise him and people are absolutely convinced that he's a transphobe and has like malevolent motives and is like an evil like an evil person people hate him um but there's just none of it is ever backed up by like a shred of evidence and and this and and this is like how can you not see that this is toxic to that even the request for evidence is Mm -hmm. is treated as this oppressive um oppressive request and this is all academics participating in this so i don't know i guess these these things just make me think yeah like it it might not be that vicious and mm-hmm. and like we we talked about in our recorded version it, it there's mm-hmm. probably quite a difference between what people are willing to say publicly and what they would say to colleagues with, at, within their university but yeah. i don't know to <laughs> uh, it, to me if people are scared to say stuff that they believe is true uh, for fear of possible backlash because it's not hitting the right political notes, that that mm-hmm. is a problem. That and that's that's 
deleterious to our search for our collective search for truth. And, and it's, and it's, it is something that I don't know. I think I am currently kind of struggling with a bit in academia. So I guess, yeah, I guess I just want to ask, yeah, ask people not to be so dismissive of this concern. Um, yeah. And the way he dismissed it is also so interesting. And we spoke about it in our like first recording is this, um, that he's saying that he somehow managed to, you know, quote unquote, be very fucking NPC. Mm. Um, even though I, you know, even though through the simple process of people knowing what I'm about. So he's saying that he's very NPC, but he somehow made it in academia, um, by people knowing what he's about, which again, I think it might go to like, first of all, yeah, I think we spoke about, I haven't seen anything from him in terms of opinions that I thought was super NPC. Um, I don't think if you have either. No, no, I haven't either. Uh, and I actually asked him, um, when we were preparing for, oh, yeah. to do this episode, <laughs> What yeah. what does he consider to be his most non PC opinions that he's aired publicly? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. he didn't respond. But no, I haven't seen, I haven't seen yeah. anything. I mean, yeah, like cursing at your friends, you know, creatively. I, I wouldn't call that being un PC. Mm. So yeah, I haven't heard, I haven't seen any un PC opinions from him. And yeah, to say that oh, people just know what I'm about. That to me, there's two problems I have with that. First is. I feel like it's easier for you to think that and say that if you were, and I don't want to sound like this, but just, you know, like a white guy who kind of just like fits into this whole scheme of things, right? Whereas if you're somebody like me that really does not fit into any, you know, categories easily, like you can't, like it's, people don't know what you're about because they can't figure things out. I've had people tell me like somebody we know, like one of our grad students in our program, when I first joined he said to me a few times like i just don't understand like you know why are you doing this like well i don't understand (laughs) i don't think he was he wasn't being rude but it was just sort of it it made me aware that yeah you know Mm. it's much easier to understand where people are coming from Mm. if you have a certain layer of understanding about their intentions Mm. and their motives and when you can't figure that out it's much harder to do that it's so i think he's in this like privileged position to say stuff like that and second he's saying that people who make these arguments are looking for attention. Whereas, you know, if you're, if people know what you're about, it's because you've told them, right? You've gone out and told them what you're about. Um, and that, you know, you, you, there's a certain level of mm-hmm. narcissism to that, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I wonder, um, like, I wonder what he means by that. So obviously if you, people within your department that you socialize with, that you develop relationships with. I I feel like it's very, it's very easy to sort of uh, in that context, know what somebody's about, so to speak, (laughs) or just get a feel for a person. I think what he's, he means is like, Oh, people know that I'm a good, good person. You know, I have good intentions. Mm -hmm. And when, when you, yeah, when you meet, you know, people in person and you're in a lab with people or you're in a department with people, then yeah, like it's very easy to sort of develop an appreciation for their humanity and their basic mm-hmm. decency, right? Right. But right, on Twitter, right. there's none of that, right? Like in, in public, if you're putting out research research papers or you're putting out tweets or um, things publicly, it's very difficult for people to have that understanding of your basic decency. So to me, like mm-hmm. he's either 
talking about the in-person context and that's fine because like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that's so much the point of people who are worried about the environment of uh, political Mm -hmm. correctness. It's more people who don't know you taking your words out of context or in uh, like imputing motives to you that you don't have based on your research or what you, what you say. Um, and sort of just this, what I see is just a lot of mind reading going on on Twitter. Uh, I saw a really good example of this today. Um, so this Steven Pinker thing that we might talk about on Friday, Jonathan, oh, yeah. Jonathan Haight weighed in, uh, and mm. sort of made this point. Um, Steven Pinker's a good researcher. He's really He's careful. He's mm-hmm. honest. Um, and he's being counseled now. Sticking up for Steven Pinker. And one of the replies uh, was, Jonathan Haidt is so filled with rage and it's remarkable <laughs> that he is able to channel that rage into uh, reasonable level-headed comments like this. Right. <laughs> so that tweet to me is fascinating because this person is certain that they know what Jonathan Haidt's internal state is, despite the yeah. fact that, that even by their admission, he's, he's complete, like his tweets don't give off that, 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 um, that state at all. So right. there's this complete uh, jump of, I, I know what Jonathan Haidt's really about. Um, and therefore, even if his tweet is expressing something reasonable, I like am going to compose this tweet and make the claim that his internal state is completely mismatched to this official statement that he's putting out in the world on Twitter. And this is like, yeah, I guess it reminds me of that. um, And this is one thing that has made me scared to say things on Twitter is, um, and I've told you about this before, is that tweet from Sanjay Srivastava Mm -hmm. where he uh, he basically, what was the tweet? He said something like, "I want when when you've aged into becoming genuinely conservative, so when mm-hmm. you've reached a certain age that your views are, are now like politically conservative, right. mm-hmm. how do you decide to um, perform liberalism? Uh, you know, how 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 does the process go to um, decide to performatively uh, say something that's very left wing?" in order to, um, appease, uh, appease your, your in-group or the the liberal crowd or or whatever. And I found that like such an interesting tweet because Hmm. essentially what he's saying is that there's these people out there who he believes are, you know, deeply conservative on the inside and have incredibly retrograde views, but they tweet support for liberal causes all the time. Right. But because he has decided who they are internally, and I guess based on them expressing more conservative views on some other issues, he no longer even believes that they're sincere if they say something liberal, right? So that's so fascinating to me. And I think the message that that sent to me was like, if you step out of line on a single issue, like if you disagree with me on a single issue you're you're now written off like you're now a a, a bad on the one of the bad people on the other and side i don't even i won't even accept it if you be, if you claim to agree with me on 70% or 80% of things because to me that's now just you performing 
that's not yeah. the real you. The real you is the bad person who, and, and to me, that's, that is exactly this mindset of, um, mind reading and, uh, sort of Im- imputing motives to people. And then like once, once somebody has kind of run afoul of, uh, of you by expressing a, an opinion that you didn't like, you are now so convinced that that's just a, a bad person that like, you can't even, you can't even accept as legitimate uh, a, a tweet where, that you do agree with, right? You, you, you've right. now just written them off completely. And to me, okay, so I respect Sanjay Srivastava a lot. I think he's brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. And, but that single tweet was, I found so sort of just chilling, right? Because it, yeah. it kind of really said to me that like this this person will just write you off. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you say anything that they do, because if you disagree with them on anything, they will just put you in this category of bad person. And it won't even matter if you agree with them on 95% of things, you're, you will now be in the bad category. And they, you, if you go for a job at their university, say mm-hmm. they, they might block you from getting that job. Or if you yeah. go for a job at a university with one of their friends, they might right. block you from getting that job. And so I, I think that is incredibly chilling. And, and I mean, look at us. We, we've, how many podcasts have we made that we're unwilling to release, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, to hear. And this whole, like the whole idea of, you know, you're either one way or another, you're either on this team or the other, like that, the whole, that whole outlook like I don't find appealing at all because it, it sort of you're forcing people to like the world is not black and white yeah. like the real world is not black yeah. and white there's a lot of it's mostly just gray right and people can hold multiple different and the pro, the problem with like thinking it this way that you're either good or you're bad you're either on the good side or the bad side is that then there's no room to have a conversation right there's no room to change anybody's mind there's no room to discuss things um, <sighs> yeah and and, and for and for, for, yeah, for James Heathers to be like, oh, I like navigate this like sensitive environment. Well, that kind of depends on what you're talking about, right? If you're discussing stats and errors, like that doesn't sound like sensitive topics to me, mm. right? But it's real topics of, you know, race and inequality mm. and, you know, transgender issues or, you know, the GRE or mm. like intelligence standardized testing, mm. right? Those are the kind of sensitive issues that, make people act in these ways and if you do want to have a like a real good faith conversation with people about it you just can't a lot of the times right even people Mm. you know in my court that I might want to talk to I feel Mm. like I can't Mm. because they're you know from a different you know they're younger and it just I feel like people will just yeah again impute these motivations on you if you're trying to even like argue for the other side Mm. as a devil's advocate Mm. right um, and that we can't like that, that just seems like yeah. it goes against everything we stand for as an institution or even higher education, right? This should be a playground mm. for ideas. And if you're only presenting mm. one side of the argument, I, I do think, yeah, that's detrimental to the whole field um, and to science, you know? Yeah. And uh, you, you sort of see it happening uh, where certain topics come up and 
people just kind of shut down, right? It, yeah. Or it's like... They just don't want to talk about it. Just yeah. tell me what to say. So I'll be classed as one of the good people and not one of the bad people. Right. I, I, I just want to say the right say the right thing and you know um not not yeah. engage critically or not not yeah. express what i actually believe and a really right. good example of this was um so our department was considering inviting jonathan Haidt to speak mm. uh, yeah. and this was a few years ago now and um one student um objected uh and his uh his argument was that um Jonathan Hay. If Jonathan Haidt came to speak, well, essentially he accused Jonathan Haidt of being a white supremacist. Um, mm. And the basis of this accusation was, uh, you know, arguments that Jonathan Haidt has made about uh, side effects of affirmative action. Mm. So Haidt has argued that if you make race conscious admissions and if you like specifically try to increase the numbers of specific marginalized groups in universities, one almost inevitable consequence of that is that you're going to let uh, you're going to let into university um, students who are not equally prepared for university, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. um, you're going to create an environment uh, where the uh, students from those groups are um, performing relatively less well in, in the university yeah. um, in terms of academic performance. Right. Um, and he sort of mentions the army as a better model whereby um, there is no affirmative action whatsoever. There, everybody is held to exactly the same standards at exa- every mm-hmm. single stage. And he said that, that, you know, except certain groups get extra help, right? So certain groups, right. like there's this um, recognition that, um, you know, certain groups have disadvantages when they arrive in the army and might need extra tutoring or extra assistance to reach those same mm-hmm. levels as everybody else. However, if you are in the army and if you're out in the field and you have a, a member of your squadron or whatever the terminology is, is <laughs> yeah. like a minority, you have the confidence to know they were held to the exact same standard as you. Uh, and that's not the case in universities. So he, and I, I, I don't think he's necessarily against affirmative action. I think he more just wants to point out that there are like, there are these of, yeah. kind of side effects or, or consequences of it that need to be sort mm-hmm. of thought about at, or at least talked about. So, so that was the main, that was the main problem with hate and our university had a discussion about it. And the discussion was supposedly going to be about, you know, free speech versus protecting students, feelings of safety and so forth. And, um, I was not at that, um, meeting Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've spoken to people who were, and essentially they said that, you know, one one professor sort of spoke up and said that, you know, this is a university, we should have free exchange of ideas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But another professor then spoke up and said, you know, um, th- that's all well and good, free exchange of ideas is all well and good, but this is about protecting students of color. And we mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do, is we are going to protect students of color. And essentially the people who were at that meeting, what they said to me was that, like, after that professor said that, you know, nobody was willing, nobody was willing to speak up in defense of hate or sort of question, question the decision to not invite him. Um, even though they didn't really agree, you know, they didn't really agree that hate is a white supremacist or supremacist or that we should, you know, just give people, um, carte blanche to, um, just 
decide who can talk and who can't talk based on the claim that they would feel unsafe uh, if that person talked. Like, um, at the heart of like the free speech, we're you know we're at the institution that was at the heart of the free speech movement. Yeah, right. Like it just seems like such a yeah. And my well, my thought was that like there's there's a disservice being done to hate here because he's yeah. just sort of been accused of something based on kind of flimsy flimsy evidence, and I think it's a it's a charge he can successfully defend himself of of being a yeah. white supremacist. Um, I think he's isn't he Jewish? I I don't even know, but like I, I think I'm pretty no sure he idea. is Jewish. So. It would be weird still, for him. You're technically still considered Caucasian if you're still white. Yeah, I. I but I guess, but I guess you are sort of. You're also. You also belong to then a, a culture that has been oppressed pretty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Significantly. Yeah. But I also felt that there's a disservice being done to this student who complained about hate as well here, mm. because. Yeah. Uh, and I, I spoke to you know some people who I'm good friends with about this, and I, I just said mm-hmm. like. That's not really good for this guy, right? Because you don't agree with him. You think he's wrong about this, but you're not. You're yeah. not willing to tell him that, right? So he, yeah, he probably thinks you do agree with him, or he 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 doesn't get to have his ideas challenged, or he doesn't even get to practice defending his ideas because because it's framed in this way of um, this person is a threat to me as a student of mm-hmm. color, like. That's just the end. That that's just the end of the discussion, and nobody's willing to, nobody's willing to sort of challenge him in any way on that. And yeah. I, I, I guess I just yeah, I kind of, and I, I kind of challenged them on this, and I said like that's not really good. And they, they basically just said, well, from my point of view, I, I could have spoken up, and I probably would have lost this friend, and right. it, you know, there was there's just nothing to gain for me personally by speaking up and, and saying what I, what I thought about this in that moment. And I think that that's true, but I, I, it's just another instance. And this was with colleagues. So this is not even on Twitter, but this was right. with colleagues. And I'm sure like, there's no way this is just happening at Berkeley. Like there, there's no way, right. This is happening all over the place. I'm sure where people are not willing to say what they actually think. Yeah. Um, that does seem to, and I'm sure we're not the, I mean, we're ta- I mean, we are talking openly about it, but I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way and just wouldn't actually even express the thought that, you know, that they think that they're not, that this environment is not conducive to them sharing their opinions freely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's that in itself is a scary thing to ex- express because then, you know, then Sanjay Srivastava can come along and be like, whoa, well, what, what are your opinions <laughs> that you're... They right. they will you know you can get put in the bad person bucket just because of that yeah. and I'm I don't know and then James Heather would be like you know yeah. you're big fast racist on the inside and you don't matter yeah 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 I it's it's weird I, like I it like I said and I, this is one thing we talked about last week it is really hard for us to judge the risks or judge the um how serious the yeah. issue is. Cause I, I think there is certainly a possibility that, um, people over exaggerate the risks or, um, uh, right. jumping at shadows a little bit. And like the whole Twitter mob thing, it just seems like a mob because everybody else is, you know, wants to be on the right side of things. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah. I don't know. It's certainly the case that like in terms of the incentives, if you do put out an unpopular opinion, mm-hmm. uh, even if people agree with you, there's not much incentive for them to really stick up for you. Right. No, um, no there's costs like social mm. costs and just professional costs to that. Yeah. So, so that, that in itself is quite scary. Cause like, you, you wanna, and I haven't put out many unpopular opinions. I did get in like one little discussion on Twitter where, um, somebody was complaining that they had been to a seminar where a tenured professor was talking about what it takes to be successful. And mm-hmm. the tenured professor was focusing on hard work. Right? So they said like, mm. you, you know, if you want to be successful, you've just got to work really hard. And this, this That's... person who, um, you know, I'd, I'd say we're, we're friends. Um, uh-huh. haven't, haven't, yeah. Haven't interacted with this person very much since this, which is telling, but, um, the, right. basically they were complaining that there was no sort of analysis of privilege or intersectionality huh. in the, like this professor was acting like they had earned everything, even though they were, you know, a white male and theoretically had all these privileges and advantages. Okay. So my, my unpopular opinion, which I prefaced with, I think this is an unpopular opinion was actually, I don't think this is bad advice because even if you're right. And even if, you know, your like identity plays a huge role in whether you become successful or not, there's really nothing much you can do about your identity uh, or just like restructuring. I mean, I guess we can all work to restructure uh, discriminatory systems mm-hmm. and stuff like that. However, for you, just as an academic, I mean, your identity groups are what they are. And it's pretty undeniable that success, like hard work is uh, <laughs> maybe necessary, if not sufficient oh, for succeeding yeah. in academia. So I, I just don't think it's bad advice. And I, I, I found it so fascinating. And I, I really want to like make this point because people started arguing with me and mm. I mean, one person was just like scary because they, they basically just said, if you are telling marginalized people, if you know, if you're trying to promote the myth of meritocracy to marginalized people, you're on the wrong side. So like very oh. explicitly just being like, I'm, I'm putting you in, in the bad person category. If you, if you yeah. put, put forward mm-hmm. this view, but if you say that hard work is a good thing, what's that? Or that giving people that, advice yeah, that, that you, know, it's, you should focus, that hard, or that work, hard is a, work will yeah. help you succeed, which is obviously true. Yeah. But then... And it's like, yeah, this focus on immutable characteristics about yourself, right? Like, that is such a bad idea, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I... But another really interesting thing came out of that. So I was... Uh, people were sort of debating with me and they were saying like, um, yeah, like it's... Uh, they were saying like, you know, they were saying like, no, I think it is bad advice. Um, and I thought like not making very good arguments about that. However, mm. the following week, same person mm-hmm. liked a tweet. And this tweet was by um, some uh, student of color who got into grad school. And they basically mm-hmm. were saying that. So the tweet was basically never give up, never give up, keep working <laughs> You can do it. You can achieve your dreams if you work hard enough to get them. And the same person who told me that like, uh-huh. we just work hard is bad advice. And it's kind of like, it's, it's racist to even give that advice because you're not acknowledging it is then liking a tweet that says the exact same thing, essentially. 
because um, this this person is basically saying, "I did it. You can do it. Just follow your dreams. Work hard." But because right. this person writing this tweet is a person of color, they're allowed they're allowed to say this, even though like it's actually pretty much the same advice. And this person who was arguing with me saying that this is bad advice, then liked this tweet. And I really wanted to take a screenshot and say, hang on, it, like, isn't this promoting the myth of meritocracy? Like, it isn't, isn't this mm-hmm. the idea that you, you said was bad advice and now you're liking this tweet? But I, I didn't. Um, but I guess liking a tweet is not, you, we can't, like, we can't fall to their level, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, you no, know, no. We can't stoop down to... No, you know. but I... Yeah, I, I guess I I definitely noticed we're, we're it and, and thought yeah. it was uh, kind of hypocritical. So, yeah, like, interestingly, that 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 guy that we were, you know, friends and, you know, we had hung mm-hmm. out at conferences and stuff like that, like, zero interaction since then. Like, um, oh, so, wow. like, this is all it takes in academia. Like, you disagree with one thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. and a slight back and forth on Twitter... And then, and you know, it's over. And I, I'm not going to say that that hasn't been mutual because um, mm-hmm. I haven't really felt like, you know, interacting with them since then. But like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, like I, I put out an unpopular opinion and I, you know, the, this predictable, predictable thing happened where um, yeah. there was just some pretty easy sort of point scoring. And there was a, there was a kind of a scary to me, uh, just like. Hey, buddy, like you're on the wrong side here, like the wrong side. Like right. this is, it's this binary, this binary thing of mm-hmm. like the world is, yeah. the world is made up of good people and bad people. And if yeah. you're not one of us, you're one of them. And yeah, it's, uh, I think it is toxic and it's very stifling for, very stifling for debate. And I do think hard work <laughs> is an important predictor of success. And if we're not even allowed to tell people that now, I think that's fucking stupid. That is very, very stupid. Um, So yeah, do you think we've convinced James Heathers? Oh, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) I I think, no, if anything, if anything, we've probably, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, let's face it. No, James Heathers will never listen to this. So it's, it's all fine. But, um, who knows, like somebody might listen to this and, uh, you know, I guess like agree with us silently. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, (laughs) I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, who knows? I just, to the person who is listening to this, I just, yeah, I, I guess I just want to say, please don't cancel me. Can't, yeah, I mean, we have to get scheduled first (laughs) before we can get canceled. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's. I guess that's the other. Yeah, it's like I don't know yeah. if you disagree with me. Let's let's talk about it, right? Like I, I'm right. totally open to being convinced that I'm wrong about things, and I think you know this, right? Like you even you mm-hmm. even like got me to like assent on that yeah. that whole um, growth mindset question, right? Um, mm-hmm. so, which yeah. So I'm starting to change your mind. I, yeah. I think I I think I'm open minded and open to the idea of being that I might be wrong mm-hmm. about things and open to like counter, counter evidence, counter evidence. Yeah. As long as you're, you know, willing to engage, but um, I just feel that have a- people like James Heathers are not like, and it, and it was really telling to me that it was just like, here's my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you disagree with me, I'm not, I'm not going to read it and you Listen, don't, you don't yeah. matter. And since when, since, when, <laughs> I mean, since when do we engage with people like that or 
I don't know. If your mind is that closed on something, I think it's a bit telling potentially. Um, Mm -hmm. Because there's not, I mean, yeah. Like it's it's not a crazy claim that uh, in a a field that is so dominated by people of one specific political view that this might be, this might have harmful effects on the free exchange of ideas. Like it's not, it's just not a crazy idea. And, um, yeah, just to be so willing to like write off people who, um, yeah, maybe disagree with you on this point is, um, yeah, I think it's further evidence of the, to be honest, the toxicity of this, this, this dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, he said, don't write to me, but we're not writing. So hopefully, hopefully he will, (laughs) these messages will reach us. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think all we can hope, I I mean, and that's why I think doing this podcast, because we did ask another colleague of us to join us and he explicitly did not want to do this because he's afraid of putting his ideas just unfiltered out there. Good point. Um, Right? Yeah, there's that. And then, like, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, that's a good point. What if somebody listens to us, you know, having these discussions? And I'm sure we'll say things that, in retrospect, might seem like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have Mm. said that and it's not. Right? People make mistakes and we're all, like, learning as we go and people Mm. might, like, misinterpret what you're saying. I guess that's bound to happen. But I honestly felt like... If I'm not going to speak up, who will, right? Like, if we're not going to speak up against this, who will? Yeah. And, and, that, and that's not to, like, sound conceited, but just to, like, you know, you do have to be sometimes a change you want to see in the world, right? Mm. Like, I feel like more people should be open about having these discussions and being open about the fact that we feel like we can't have these conversations openly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is just, well, you know, the world is ending anyway. That's, so, what, you that's, know, what, Camille's, why, why that's what Camille's point was. He's like... Yeah. The only way this gets better is if people are, are willing to, you know, yeah. um, be a bit more, to be a bit more it. courageous and say what they think. On, on that yeah. though, I, I, this is a completely different topic. So, um, but I, I was thinking like when we were planning to re-record this podcast, I had like mm-hmm. two sort of opposing thoughts, right? And so w- one was ah, like well, you know, we talked for like an hour, but really, like the ideas that we expressed could probably be communicated in like 15 minutes so we could just do like a a summary version of the pod and then i had the idea of oh well we could always do that like you talk for an hour you have you know you realize the key points you want to make and then you do like a quick version but then Uh so my second thought then was like no like that uh, that's i don't want to do that i wouldn't listen to that right like i Uh and it's and it made me think about the medium of a podcast and what we're actually doing Mm -hmm. here right like i you know, I, the podcasts that I like mostly go for about an hour. And if they did do mm-hmm. what I was just suggesting, if they did re- record mm-hmm. a 15 minute version where they just give you like the cliff notes, all mm-hmm. the key opinions that they got to, and you didn't hear any of the like thinking out loud or back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't listen to that because there's something, okay. there's just something about a podcast that is not just, you don't just want to absorb the key ideas you want yeah, you you kind of just want to hear discussion. You want at, at its yeah, normal pace. Yeah, it's a pace. conversation. Yeah, and you yeah you want to sort of feel like you get to know the people. You want to hear their crappy jokes and yeah. So I, <laughs> it's an interesting medium. And since we've started doing this, yeah, I've like been thinking about it more and more. I think we probably have 
I would definitely have a long way to go to be good at this. But it's um oh, definitely. Yeah, like I really enjoy listening to podcasts. Um and who knows, maybe someday somebody will enjoy listening to us. Enjoy listening to us. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Okay. On that note. <laughs> On that <yeah>. hopeful note. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, great talking to you, Paul, and look forward to speaking to you later this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we have to do this again really soon. All right, but then we get a break. <laughs> then we get a little right, break. Cool. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. Cool.